Okay, folks, this week it's just a solo episode. I'm often asked about why I started this podcast and what it takes to keep going week after week, uh, month after month. Now, two and a half years into this, I thought I would take some time just to step back and reflect on it and answer those questions as to what led to starting this podcast and carrying on. Most of my life I've worked in advertising and been very interested in the power of curiosity as a characteristic, but also in the power and value of networks. And thirdly, I've always been interested in the concept of serendipity and what it is and the role it plays in people's lives. So when I when I started thinking about the podcast back in 2013, I did nothing about it. Two years later, I did something about it and created the Impossible Network and recorded a couple of episodes and then did nothing with it. Procrastination really kicked in. I'll come and talk a bit about procrastination in more detail and the value it has. But it wasn't until 2018 when I really sat down and thought, well, what do I want this podcast to be about? And that's when I really stepped back and thought about networks, serendipity and curiosity. And really, it was the convergence of these three things that led to launching the Impossible Network with a simple thought. What if I interview three people that I know, two of them being clients, and ask them about their life journey, ask them about the impact of their upbringing, the role of curiosity in their life, their attitude to risk, their perceptions toward fear and failure, and what's really fueled them and spurred them on to achieve what they would personally term they are impossible. But the key thing in these interviews is really to ask them who they recommend that I interview next and really leaving the guests that we interview down to serendipity. And that has resulted in me interviewing over 90 guests now and rising. Some of the most extraordinary, unexpected people, people I would never otherwise would have encountered or be connected with that now form part of the Impossible Network. Just amazing human beings from individuals as diverse as Marcus Miller, the musician, mathematician, to Lucia de Respinez, an, an industrial designer, age 90, who just recently gave up teaching at New York's Pratt Design School, to, to Ryder Carroll, the creator of the Bullet Journal, to Jürgen Griesbeck, the founder of Common Goal, the soccer-related NGO that dedicates where players and managers commit to giving 1% of their earnings to charity. To Carmen Delasio, the founder of Studio 54, who's still building community today here in the city. Um, Dan McDougall, an award-winning Sunday Times, British Sunday Times investigative journalist. To Hunter Johansson, Scarlett Johansson's twin brother. It really has been quite extraordinary. And the interesting thing about all these individuals, and the one thing that they do share is a resilience in terms of overcoming obstacles or making their impossible possible. And while interviewing them, certain things have come through these interviews and things that tie into, I think, resiliency and something that we can all learn from. And I'd like to just go through some of those lessons and insights that I've gained from doing these interviews. And it's the reason why I continue with it. It's as much to tell their stories as much as it is for me to get benefit from it, to not only just build my own personal network and to connect them to other guests, which is an important part of doing this, but also as a life lesson for myself. So first of all, let's just take a step back and talk about resiliency. It's something that's been 
probably one of the most used words in the last year during COVID and during the pandemic. But one of my first guests was Dr. Courtney Renicky, a client, and I interviewed her twice. And the second time was during the pandemic, where she really explained resilience in some great detail. So if you want to listen to that episode and really understand the neuroscience of resilience, that's a great one to start with. But she explained, or she used this term in that second interview that we're all built for this, that resilience is something that's hard-coded into us. As human beings, if you look at the neuroscience and the psych, uh, and look at the biological makeup of the brain, you have this uh, polyvagal nervous system and you have the dorsal and the ventral vagal system and they all combine together to build resi- resiliency in us, uh, helping us get through tough times. And whether you're living in a war zone or dealing with personal sort of strife or living in a city like New York that's gone through numerous uh, crises from 9-11 to the global financial crisis to Hurricane Sandy to what happened last year, there is a neuroscience behind it. We forget that we are built for it. Now, everyone's different, obviously, because of the way their brains are wired, that some of us freeze when we confront challenges. Some of us fight and others flight. Um, Some of us turn to relational building. Everyone's different, and that's what's really interesting about it. So listen to that episode and, and learn more about that. But what Courtney said, we were built for this. The relational part of it is We also build resiliency. It's something that we actually develop over time through our behaviours and our relationships and our actions. So I'm just going to talk about some of the things that have come through from the people I've interviewed that I found interesting, that resonated, that I think relate and help build resiliency. The first one is the word ambiguity. Beth Comstock, who was ex-vice chair of GE, used this term and talked about the importance of ambiguity in her interview, of getting the importance of getting used to living in the in-between. Clearly, we are living in uncertain times, uncomfortable often with ambiguity. Times right now, tumultuous, changing, uh, whether it be climate, whether it be uh, related to racial injustice, economic disparity, or fears of the onset of disruptive technology on, on life and work and societal makeup. This ambiguity is a time we have to try and foster and nurture a sense of living in this in-between phase and accepting it and not fearing it. It's all very well saying that as well. There was an interview I did with Arnold Michaelis III, who's a reformed neo-Nazi, essentially, and um, delightful uh, individual, intelligent, informed, ex-white supremacist. But he had this great line that he used in the interview, which ties into ambiguity. It says, the more certain I am, the more I say there are other possibilities other than the ones I'm certain of. And I think this really resonated because if you think about the polarity in politics and the world that we're living in, there everyone is so certain on the left and right of being right to live and embrace this sense of uncertainty and be open to question one's assumptions and be open to other possibilities is a very strong characteristic and trait will help us all deal with the challenges we face going forward, whether it be in work or it be in society or in family confrontations and arguments. The other thing that slightly relates to this as well was a term liminality that was used by Gillian Burke, who was an ex-BBC Nature Watch presenter. And she said, now, only now, after 40 years of living, I have a word that helps me deal with my identity. And the word liminal can really be summed up as somewhere in between what is no longer and what is not yet. And I think, you know, given this sort of the bigger macro situation and challenges that we're facing in society, to acknowledge we're always in this constant state of transition helps build resiliency of dealing with the challenges that we're facing right now and this of the increasing sort of pace of change 
The next guest that really struck a chord with me was Lorna Davis, who is the ex-CEO of Danone in the US. And she helped them navigate a journey through to B Corp status. She had this great quote that was, anytime I am uncomfortable, unhappy or angry, I get curious. It's a gateway to joy, happiness, learning and discovery. So I think cultivating curiosity is just another trait that I think we should all try and and nurture and not just think it's something you are or you aren't. We've talked to a lot of our guests about the importance of it, whether it be parents and teachers or mentors. Cultivating this curiosity in those that we guide is a really important characteristic. Cultivating curiosity is an imperative on all of us. Because as Lorna says, it can be an antidote to negative actions and reactions. And that really resonated. The next phrase that I think helps build resilience in us is is persistence and being persistent through adversity. Chantel Martin, uh, the New York-based, London-born artist, uh, if any of you know her, she or listened to the episode, she'd had a pretty tough upbringing in South London from a mixed-race family of seven children. And Chantel focuses on her on identity and explores identity through her art. You might be familiar with some of the large format black and white line drawings that express uh, and, and explore identity. But she had this great quote, which really for me summed up the importance of persistence through, through adversity. And she said, imagine, or she said, I often imagine there's a gigantic lake. And at the edge of that lake, there's a little green rowboat. And I row and row into the middle of the lake. And I rock and I rock and I rock until the ripples get larger and larger and larger. And I imagine them reaching all the way out and back to the edge of the lake where I came from. And then they come back to me in the form of work, opportunities, collaborations and press and ideas and many other things. But when I stop rowing, the ripples stop. And this for me is really encapsulates a sort of persistence and the persistence that generates also serendipity and opportunity in life. And through that, I think that also leads to having a a sense of resilience and building resilience in us. One of Chantel's lines where she explores that one of Chantel's expressions that she's become famous for is, you are you. And that for me really resonated, particularly made me reflect and think about another guest I had early in in the first series, called Dr. Merritt Moore, who's a world-class ballet dancer and quantum physicist and also trained to be an astronaut and fascinating upbringing. And she had this line, which was, if you strive for perfection, you are replaceable. Stay true to yourself and you're irreplaceable. Now that made me really think about being true to yourself and encapsulated Chantel's phrase, you are you, and the importance of maintaining that at the front forefront of your mind as we go through life and to help ground us. The next guest that really hit home with something she said was Emily Oberman. She's a partner at Pentagram Design, a famous global design firm, probably most famous in the US for their Saturday Night Live identity work they've been doing for now over 40 years. She is a nonconformist at heart and a delightful human being and Emily said that her parents instilled in her the idea of being a beautiful weirdo. And that really struck a chord about the confidence to be different, to go down a different track, to not conform to the way that society tells you to, the way that everyone at the moment feels that, particularly through social media, 
is pressured to look a certain way and to behave a certain way. And that's something that Emily talked about, the importance of her and her children is also cultivating that sense of being uh, a beautiful weirdo. And I think for any any parent out there, maybe dealing with challenges with their children, that that phrase may hit home and give you some sort of reassurance that your individuality of your child is important uh, and also help build a sense of feeling resilient through the challenges that day-to-day life brings. Another word that's used a lot today is gratitude. I interviewed uh, Nassar Jabbar, a Palestinian founder of what's called the Migrant Kitchen, who's had, in his own words, a very challenging life of ups and downs from being homeless before the pandemic. He actually, and having suffering his own mental health issues, he um, threw himself into the crisis over the last year and fed over a million people through his Migrant Kitchen initiative, working with World uh, Chef Andre's World Kitchen, and was serving 50,000 meals a day around New York City to the food insecure and front frontline workers. But he's one of the most grounded people I've ever met. And he had this quote, which was, I'm just grateful to be able to turn a crisis into purpose. And he continues to do it to today with his migrant kitchen that's still continuing to feed New Yorkers with food insecurity. So that really did make me realise the importance and the power of, of gratitude. And I think that a practice of daily gratitude also reinforces resiliency through life's challenges. The next quote is, if you want to change your body and mind, change what you do most of the time. This came from another early guest, Joshua Holland, who is Madonna's fitness coach. And he really does practice what are called tiny habits, something that's been made famous by BJ Fogg, the Stanford University professor and writer of that book, Tiny Habits. But it's also something that was echoed by another guest, another Joshua, which is Joshua Spodek, who talked to him about his daily habits that he calls Sidchas, self-imposed daily actionable challenging, helpful actions. And both of those individuals, both Joshua's, were inspiring in the way that they were implementing these small life changes to create big life outcomes and transformations. And as we all strive to be more resilient, being aware of the small things we can change to affect big outcomes is something I think we should all be cognizant and mindful of. I talked early on about the procrastination in delaying doing the podcast, first in 2013 and then 2015. Andrew Santella, who wrote the book soon, uh, The Overdue History of Procrastination, had this line that in his interview, which is procrastination has a purpose. And I think that purpose um, of procrastination is that we perform and we produce when the time is right and not to sweat it and not feel guilty about procrastination, that sometimes procrastination is there to, in a subconscious way, to help us confront the blockages, the challenges, the work, the creativity that we need to execute, but are not ready to do it, that potentially there is some serendipitous moment required to trigger what we need to produce. So I think we have to embrace procrastination in a much richer, more holistic way than we do at the moment, which we tend to put it in a negative bucket and rather than see the positive benefits of procrastination. And then the serendipity itself. I interviewed Dr. Christian Bush, who wrote the book, uh, The Serendipity Mindset. And to quote him in the interview, he said, it gives us this kind of like liberation. It doesn't mean you're out of control. It just means that you let go of your illusion of control 
And I think it is a time for us to embrace this. Now, this really struck a chord because whether you call yourself a type A personality or someone that likes to be in control, embracing the or accepting the fact that there, we don't really have control to a large degree, that um, letting go of that illusion of control is an important characteristic that we all need to foster and nurture. And I think it's tied into also the fact that he said it's, it's an important characteristic, but it's also has to be tied into having the tenacity of following through from connecting the dots and having an idea. Serendipity is a process of actually following through. It's about, it is about tenacity of doing the work. And that really hit home. And building on that serendipity was Debbie Millman. And she, what we would call today, was cancelled when she was in the early stages of her career. For Debbie, who now runs a master's in branding program at the SVA in New York, and she said, if I'd not spoken up about it during those early days in a forum, the whole arc of my life would not have been possible without that serendipitous situation where the reaction she got led to so many doors being opened that led her to ultimately where she is today in life. And that ties in also to confronting fears and taking actions. I think a lot of individuals and a lot of people often worry about saying something and remain silent when they have a sense that they should say something. And I think what Debbie is a prime example of is someone that did actually say something that that did ultimately define her life journey and take her in a positive direction and helped her as her life progressed to remain resilient uh, through all the sort of the challenging times that she faced. And then there's another word I want to use, which is community. Hunter Johansson, I'd mentioned earlier, Scarlett Johansson's uh, twin brother, said there is such value in bringing people together, helping each other. It's why we're here. We don't live in our own individual bubbles. We we exist in community and it's important for us to embrace that responsibility that we have to build what I like to call common unity. And Vanessa Barboni Halleck, who we interviewed, the runs a sustainable fashion, women's fashion brand called Another Tomorrow. She's, she talked a lot about the importance of community and helped to initiate and get me involved in a project that we're working on called Back the Neighbourhood, which is looking at urban regeneration. And there's a quote of Harvey Milk from the 1960s, which he said is, if we wish to rebuild our cities, we must first rebuild our neighbourhoods. And it's up to us individually and collectively to come together and help build and foster community or common unity. And when we do that, I think that is all part of what Courtney talked about, the importance of relational building in generating resilience. Now, there's a ton more that I've taken out from these interviews and and probably over the coming months, I'll start to collect even more of them and maybe have another point of reflection further down the line. But I hope that there are certain things here that resonate and I would encourage anyone that hasn't listened to some of these interviews that I've mentioned that they're full of wisdom, inspiration and in many instances wit so please go back and listen to them and share them where you can and if you haven't uh, followed us or subscribed please do so, it's important to us and if there's anyone that you want us to interview and you think from a serendipitous standpoint we should just uh, send an email to mark at theimpossiblenetwork.com or uh, post on Instagram at theimpossiblenetwork. And look um, out for next week's interview where I have a wonderful comedian, Palestinian comedian called Mason Zayed. Okay, 
That's all for this week, folks. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, rate, recommend, or review, depending on where you listen. And if you have someone you'd like us to interview, just DM us on Instagram at The Impossible Network or email us at info at theimpossiblenetwork.com. And please give our other podcast, The Raw Hospitality Show, a listen. They are both Fabrica Collective Productions. See you next time.